Um dia de sol Eu fui pra trabalhar Beautiful souls, I'm Camille. And this is Erica of the Healthcare from the Soul, the Healer's Journey podcast. Where we listen to stories from heart-centered healthcare providers who are rewriting their story as healers of this world. Now more than ever, they feel dissonance within themselves and the system and are answering their soul's calling for something more. Erica and Camille host retreats around the globe for healthcare professionals interested in discovering more about their life's purpose in the healing arts. To learn more, head on over to the show notes. Let's go to the show. Hello, hello. Welcome, Vanessa, to Healthcare from the Soul, the healer's journey. We are so happy to have you here today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for taking the time. So we just dive in. We're going to let the story of you be told by you. And the trajectory of this podcast or the intention of this podcast is to introduce people, healthcare professionals who are in the conventional world and who have already taken space or decide to take space or are considering taking space to explore what the opportunities are outside of the conventional realm and then return in the healing arts in a different way without necessarily the title of MD or the DO or PA or RN, whatever identity they identified with at the beginning and the now. And so the healer's journey is pretty much around the hero's journey in which we get the call, we depart, we have the initiation, and then we return. Mm -hmm. So could you dive in? Sure. I mean, I guess for me, the call came at a very, very young age. I knew that I wanted to be a doctor really like when I was six or seven years old. So really young. And I think the reason I chose to be a physician was partly my family was definitely very, very, their values were service to others and academic achievement. So I had a father who was a physician and a grandfather who was a physician and grandmother who was a nurse and a mother who was a social worker. and my father was definitely a very strong role model for me. I admired him. I wanted to be like him. And so that was part of the reason I chose medicine. But even more than that, I think the reason I chose medicine was that from a very young age, I was always interested in what made, what caused people to suffer and in the desire to alleviate other people's suffering. Like that was, has been a very strong value of mine. Compassion has been a theme through my life for sure. So it just was a natural calling for me to become a physician. And really, after I'd made that decision at age seven or eight, I never really ever changed my mind. I just went from, you know, school to college, straight from college to medical school, straight from medical school to residency. And then I got my fellowship in endocrinology. And then I just went into private practice and I practiced for at least it was about 20 something years until 2015, um, which is when I stopped practicing medicine. So for me, it's really been something that's been a part of my life from a very, very young age. Beautiful. And what happened in 2015 that you decided to just leave medicine? So it wasn't really 
a decision I made. It was something that really occurred that I had to come. I had to stop practicing. So I, in 2015, I really came into recovery from an unlivable life. I was really living my life according to beliefs that were not working for me. And I think there were two strong beliefs. The first belief I had was that my worth was really equated to my worth equated to how much I accomplished in the world. And so I was constantly trying to accomplish things, you know, become the physician, be the most perfect wife, be the perfect physician, be the perfect mother, daughter, friend, get the best press gainy scores for my patients, all of those kinds of things. And the other belief really was that my worth was equated with how much I did for everyone around me. So I was constantly giving to everybody, giving to my patients and giving to my children and giving to my parents. And I forgot about myself in the equation. And what it ended up doing was I was living on a hamster wheel. Like I was constantly pushing, constantly proving myself and perfecting myself. And, but I never felt like I was good enough or it, what I was doing was good enough. And what that resulted in was severe anxiety. I was struggling with anxiety. I would, you know, I received medications for it and they helped for a period of time, but I didn't really address the root cause, which was that my life was completely out of balance. And so as a part of my journey, I ended up um, reaching outside of myself for to cope with my anxiety and taking pills that were not prescribed for me. And in that, in that process, I ended up having my medical license suspended. And so I ended up stopping practicing medicine because it was pretty much forced upon me. But in retrospect, it was a huge gift and a huge blessing that that all of that happened. It was like a blessing in disguise. So I came into this part of my journey, not out of choice, although thank God I had that opportunity. Thanks, Vanessa, so much for being um, vulnerable with that share. Mm -hmm. I know that for me, using illegalized substances or substances that you can get like alcohol um, was part of my story when there was some dissonance that I was experiencing in my life. And I know that many others can relate to self-medicating in whatever way that might be when um, we're not really listen or haven't learned to listen to ourselves again. So thanks for sharing that with us. Yes, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being open. I believe that the two core beliefs, having your worth in other people or service and feeling, yeah, I think those two core beliefs that you mentioned are both very common and familiar to the healer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I mean, I think healers are always trying to give to others. And I think in the process, if we're not taking care of ourselves, we end up in a tremendous trouble, which is what ended up happening for me, right? I just lost myself in the equation. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned from all of this is that we cannot look after others if we're not looking after ourselves as well and actually first. Yeah, that's that's really beautiful. It is very true. We can't look after others unless we take care of ourselves first. And it's interesting, the conversation that we're having is slightly deep 
slightly deviates from the normal conversation that we have. And I really enjoy it because what we can do or what would be interesting to know is that now we're living in this stage of hindsight, right? You said you really see it now as a blessing that that was the way of stepping um, that you was sort of forced upon you to step away. I'd be interested to see what advice, I'm just going to use the word advice, although everyone's journey is their own, that you would have uh, for allowing somebody who might be within that um, struggle right now to allow them to maybe recognize it doesn't have to get to that point Mm -hmm. um, where there's Yeah, I think that's a great question, because of course, I've thought about that a lot, right? I think one of the things I would tell people is that there's always a way forward. I didn't see that, but there is. And that the most important step after after you've acknowledged that you're either burnt out or you're caught in, you know, an addiction or poor coping mechanism is to reach out for help. Right. And I think the problem is that physicians and nurses and nurse practitioners, a lot of them have fear of coming forward um, to seek help because, first of all, there's still a lot of stigma around addiction and mental health in the healthcare professional community, but also because of the fear around our licenses, right? And what's going to happen to your license. And so, because of that, that's a kind of a barrier to seeking help. And one thing I just wanted to mention and put out there is that. And this was not available when I like in when I came into recovery in 2015 is that there's now confidential like virtual programs for healthcare professionals. And there's one that I'm that I actually coach for and it's called Veritas and it does support healthcare professionals, nurses, anyone in the healthcare community to come forward who are seeking help with mental health or with addiction. So there are those kinds of things I'd say reach out for help. You're not alone and you can't do this alone. The other thing I would say, looking back in retrospect, is what I mentioned about self-care, right? Like, it's not a luxury to look after ourselves. We have to be taking care of ourselves. We are part of the equation, and we cannot do this without looking after ourselves. We cannot take care of others before ourselves. The third thing that I think that I really wish I had done in retrospect was boundaries, right? I had such poor boundaries, set no boundaries with my patients. I allowed patients to call me on my cell, certain patients to call me on my cell phone. I was literally, once my chart messaging came into effect, I was constantly at the beck and call of my computer. I was constantly in bed before going to sleep, checking messages and answering messages because God forbid a patient would wait more than 24 hours for the answers, right? Because I couldn't allow that to happen. And so had I set healthy boundaries in retrospect, that could have also been helpful, right? So for me, I think the three things would be seeking treatment, taking care of myself better, and setting better boundaries. Right. And recognizing that the seeking treatment piece, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just this beautiful nudge. It's like this, and some people don't even get it, right? Some people never hear this calling that there needs to be a change. So kind of reframing it as this, how can this addiction be something that really is my greatest awakening, like you mentioned? And then how do we look at, when we're looking at boundaries and we're looking at self-care, how can somebody who's a perfectionist take 
time away from being perfect to take care of oneself. Yeah, I mean, that's such a challenging thing to do, right, as a perfectionist. And I think you need support in doing that, right? I think you need to start to challenge your beliefs around perfectionism. I think you need to be able to see the the negative effects that the perfectionism is having in your life, right? You have to buy into the fact that it's not working for you anymore. You have to see how destructive it is. And I think a lot of that for me has come through the practice of a number of practices, but one of them is through like the self-coaching model, like the idea of it's not our circumstances that are causing how we feel, but it's our thoughts about our circumstances, right? So can we work with those thoughts that we have and see how those thoughts affect our emotions, which affect our actions and our results? And so teasing those apart, I think can be really helpful, like working with those thoughts that I need to be perfect and working with that and pulling that apart a little bit can really help with those beliefs. I feel like I think also what has been really powerful for me is working with a practice of self-compassion, right? And we've talked about this before, but the idea that I have an inner critical voice that can be very, very harsh And yet, can I turn towards myself and start to learn to be my own best friend, right? And actually develop a different voice inside, a much softer, kinder, supportive voice. And it's a practice, right? It doesn't happen overnight, but it's something that you can make an intention to do. But that's, I'm not going to deny the fact that there are so many problematic factors in medicine and in the way medicine is practiced right now that makes it really challenging because I don't want to you know deny those factors those are really important factors that need to be addressed as well we recognize that everybody in the healthcare system knows that it's broken and but it's also made up of individuals and the individuals when they can step away and take a little bit of space and do a practice like self-compassion, they can start to be the change that we all wish to see in the system, right? Would you be comfortable or open to talking through the process of what self-compassion looks like and talking to your inner critic? Yeah, so a lot of the work around self-compassion that I've studied is from Kristen Neff. So there are actually two sort of sides to self-compassion, right? There's And I just love this stuff. So you'll hear, I could go on about this forever and ever. So I won't, I promise. But anyway, there's the tender side of self-compassion, which is the sort of more, the image of that is more of the mother nurturing her young, right? The tender self-compassion. When we're tenderly self-compassionate to ourselves, we're noticing that we're struggling, right? We're noticing that we're in pain. We're noticing, instead of being caught up in the struggle, we're actually noticing it. And then we are turning towards ourselves with kindness rather than judgment, right? So we're shifting from inner critical thoughts to kindness, And saying to ourselves, like either placing a hand on our heart or just saying, this is really hard right now. And then there's a third part of the self-compassion, which is around the idea of we're all in this together. We're interconnected. We're not alone in our struggle. Everyone struggles at time, right? So struggle, struggling, suffering, whatever, it's all a part of life. Being burnt out, whatever it is, everything, all our struggles are a part of life. So that's the tender part. But it's really important that we balance it with this other part of self-compassion, and that's the fierce 
self-compassion. That's the idea that that's the image of a kind of mother bear protecting her young. And when we're talking about fierce self-compassion, we're talking about there are really three parts to it. There is protecting ourselves, which is setting boundaries, saying no, saying I can't do this. There's providing for our needs, right? Us acknowledging that our needs are as important as other people's are not more important, but they're not less important, right? So we're, we're providing for our needs. And then the last part of fierce self-compassion is we're motivating ourselves to become our best selves. We are letting go of habits that don't serve us. We are, you know, motivating ourselves to chart our records if that's what we need to be doing. We are doing those things that motivate us in the moment. So it's really important that we balance both the tender and the fierce, because if we just sit in tender self-compassion, we might not get anything done, right? We might just sit there and be kind to ourselves. But when we also balancing it with motivating ourselves to be our best selves, it balances, right? Because a lot of people get afraid. Well, if I'm just kind to myself, I'll never get anything done. I'll just sit here and eat bonbons and lie on the couch and watch Netflix, right? I'm not going to do anything. But then you're just, then you're not balanced. You don't have the yin and the yang, right? You don't have the feminine and the masculine. So that was a long-winded answer to that question. <laughs> it's beautiful. And I have more questions now. So in, in the moment of internal medicine physician who is on hour 14, what does fear, can you initiate fierce compassion in that moment? Ah, that's a very good question. Fierce, I would say in an hour 14 of being on call, what you really need in that moment more is tender self-compassion. I don't think that you need fierce self-compassion at that moment, right? So it's really checking in. The quintessential self-compassionate question is what do I need right now, right? And so do I need in this moment to set boundaries? Do I need in this moment to ask for my needs to be met? Do I need to motivate myself or do I need to turn towards myself tenderly? And I think when you're on your 14th hour of being on call or you haven't had sleep for 14 hours, you need to turn towards yourself and say, wow, this is so hard right now. Is there one thing I can do to just be kind to myself in this moment, right? What, what would that look like? Is it to take a breath? Is it to lie down for one, for one minute? You know, whatever it is, what can I do in this moment to just turn towards myself? Yeah, it's interesting, human nature, we tend to feel like that if we're more critical towards ourselves, that it motivates ourselves to success, right? Like in the diet culture, if I'm compassionate towards myself, then maybe I'll sit on the couch and eat those bonbons, like you mentioned. Oh, we as humans. And that's so far from the truth, because we do know that like, we are motivated so much more by being supportive to ourselves and beating ourselves up. And yet we tell ourselves that we're going to motivate ourselves by beating ourselves up, but that's not the truth, right? It actually isn't the truth. Yeah, it feels like the old paradigm. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, and I mean, there are so many studies that have been done that show that people who are high, who score high on self-compassion are actually much more resilient than other people. They, they cope much better with trauma. They cope better in divorce situations they're on their own sides and they're they're also people who are much more um, courageous and take greater chances because they they've got their own back if they make a mistake so they're willing to take it actually is an excellent practice for people who are perfectionistic because it helps with that perfectionism 
to turn towards yourself with self-compassion and say, it's okay if you make a mistake, right? It's okay. I'm on your side if things don't go exactly as you want them to. This very much parallels gentle and responsive parenting practices, which I'm in deep study with right now. And it makes sense, right? If you are kinder, gentler with your child when something goes wrong, they're more likely to take risks. They're more likely to try again. Right. Absolutely. And we are just little kids running around in adult bodies anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> and apparently that's the way you're supposed to train your dog these days as well, which I didn't, which makes sense, <laughs> right? But I was, I remember when we had a childhood dog, you would stick the nose, their nose in their pee when they would um, mess in the house. And then now you don't do any of that. You just tell them what you would like for them to do and show them and, and right. you're sweet with them and all of the things. I was like, wow, we're nicer <laughs> to our animals than we are to our little humans. <laughs> so after your awakening, mm -hmm. how did you step into the healing arts again? So for a period of time, I went, you know, I went into a treatment program and then I was really spent a lot of time sort of reflecting, do I want to continue to practice medicine because I, my medical license was suspended, but I could get it back at some point, or do I want to do something a little bit different? And as I was waiting for my medical license to be returned to me, I spent a lot of time initially sort of trying to make sense of everything, sort of the causes and conditions that have brought me to this place in my life, understand and become more aware of what happened here and why, how did my life get derailed in this way? And what really spoke to me a lot was the practice of Buddhism and spiritual, spiritual practices. So I became very involved in mindfulness and mindfulness training and as I was doing that, I learned more about Buddhism and what makes us suffer and how we argue with reality. And it started to make sense to me. It just resonated really deeply with me. And as I did that, I became more, I felt like, you know, what had drawn me to medicine, like I said at the beginning, was this desire to alleviate suffering. And initially when I was a physician, I felt like I was doing that. I was able to sit with my patients and give them the time that they needed. And I didn't feel neat under the time pressure that I did as I ended my medical career. So as medicine changed, it became much more about you know, the pressures of electronic medical recording, becoming productive, seeing as many patients as you possibly could, the clock on the computer telling you how many minutes you were behind for your next patient while you're sitting with this patient, the inability to constantly to make eye contact while you're trying to also type and look at the person. And I honestly felt like I wasn't being able to be there for my patients in the way I wanted to. I felt like I was, I felt like not in integrity, like I wasn't really doing the job I wanted to be doing for them. And I wasn't able to give them the attention they deserved. And I was just, you know, my patients were very complicated. I was dealing with a lot of diabetics as an endocrinologist. They had diabetes, they had high blood pressure, they had high cholesterol, they had 
anxiety, depression, neuropathy, so many complaints. And I was supposed to take care of all of these in 15 minutes and it was impossible. So as I was thinking, I realized like in retrospect, when I was taken away from medicine, that I really had been kind of burnt out towards the end, that I really wasn't doing the job that I wanted to be doing. And the joy was really had been taken out of it for me. I wasn't joyful when I went to work every day. I really wasn't. Initially, I mean, I loved practicing medicine at the beginning. And towards the end, I was not loving practicing medicine. I would look at certain patients' names and I would feel a sense of a pit in my stomach because I knew I could not possibly give them the attention they needed because they were so complicated. So as I was thinking about that, I just, I thought, well, what could I do with what I've experienced with this journey I've had, make sense out of it, use my skills, my strength and my value of compassion and bring it to the arena of recovery, right? And so someone mentioned to me, have you thought about coaching? And I thought, I don't really know much about that, but why don't I investigate it? Why don't I learn about it? And I happened across a woman who was running a one-year program, which was a life coaching recovery coaching program. And I had to wait like four months because she wasn't running it for a while. And I just enrolled in it and completed it and decided, okay, you know what? At some point I just made the decision when they, when they, came to me and said, okay, you're licensed now. We can go before the board. We can make the decision about whether we're going to renew the license. I just decided, you know what? I'm giving that part of my life up. I gave a lot to medicine. I gave a tremendous amount to medicine. It did. I benefited tremendously from the career. And I think I can do something different and I can give back in a different way. And what I love now about my coaching career is that I'm able to spend the time with my clients. I'm able to sit with them and give them the time, the attention that I think that they really deserve. And it's, it's kind of like come around in a circle, right? What a courageous, courageous step forward, really. Um, Thank you. That's such a monumental move for your soul, <laughs> right? Yeah. To be able to say, because it's been in you since you were a little girl, mm -hmm. to be able to say, I'm going to be a healer, but in a different way that doesn't look like a licensed MD. Right. And to take, yeah, it's just really, really beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it was scary at times, but it just felt like the right thing inside, right? Well, it came to you too, right? This opportunity with the certification yeah. and life yeah. coaching yeah. was there at the yeah. moment of intention the universe provided. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Tied into the whole spirituality and trusting in life and the flow of life and what happens versus how I used to live my life, which was manage and control it all, try and fix it and do, you know, take care of it, trusting that life will bring to me what I need. And it did. What I think is interesting is that in the beginning, you said that the decision to leave medicine wasn't your own um, in the beginning, um, when it sounds like it was 100% your decision to leave medicine. That was just a little pause. It was that great pause that we all need before mm -hmm. something else appears, that space mm -hmm. between, mm -hmm. what is it, 
what is the the quote about that? It's blanking on me right now. But um, so you mentioned this. You mentioned when you were in reflection that you were really burned out. And I know that quite often when we look when we think of this word burnout, a lot of the burden is on tends to be on the healthcare provider, right? That they aren't doing it doing enough or doing it right. That we aren't doing enough self care and all of those things to where then the onus is on the healthcare provider. And I'm curious to see what your thought is about that. And maybe if you have a definition of what burnout is. I don't think it is really on the healthcare provider, right? I think that for me, I definitely had a very different experience of medicine at the beginning than I did at the end, right? And that wasn't because I changed, right? It, it Medicine really changed dramatically, the practice of medicine. The, and I'm not saying it was perfect when I went into medicine. There were definitely issues with medicine at the beginning, but the all the other things that changed, the, the um, introduction of electronic medical records, the prior authorizations, the insurance calls we had to make, the demands on physicians to, like, to enter every order, right? We didn't used to have to do that when we first started practicing medicine. There were so many other things demanded of us that were not part of the practice of medicine, the art of healing, right? It was, that had nothing to do with that at all. Um, and I, so I don't feel like burnout is the responsibility of the healthcare provider, right? I, but I do think there are things that you can do when you're practicing medicine that can definitely impact how you show up as a physician every day. So, you know, my, and I can just mention an example, like my husband is a physician as well. And he, he was definitely feeling, he's been practicing now for about over 30 years, and he's definitely been feeling some burnout, like a significant burnout, exhausted, cynical, not a lot of pleasure in the practice of medicine. And about six months ago, nine months ago, his, his organization actually offered their physicians a coaching program, and which was incredible. And he took advantage of this opportunity and he decided because he knew I was a coach and was like, you know, I know I'm burnt out and I know I'm really busy, but I'm going to just put the effort in and I'm going to do this coaching program. And he really benefited from it. I mean, it was actually impressive to see like his job didn't change, right? But he changed. He changed certain things about the way he approached his job. First of all, I think just the group coaching gave him a sense of like, I'm not alone in this. We're all, you know, we're all together. And there was that support. So there was that. But besides that, his individual coaching helped him think about setting boundaries that he had the luxury of doing, like maybe cutting back a little bit. And he was able to do that. Right. So there were things he did in that respect. And also he focused a little bit more on like what brings me joy in medicine and what am I good at and my strengths and going in each day and like focusing on each patient. What can I get out of this interaction and what can I give? Well, how can I show up for this patient in this moment? And it shifted something in him profoundly that really changed. So I think it's both ways, right? Like it's both the system and also there are things we can do at the same time on an individual level that can make a difference? So it's a long-winded answer to that question. 
No, I thank you for that. And I, and I think what's really important to remember what is that we do have choice and sometimes it feels like we don't because we spent X amount of years, time, money, sweat and tears, learning medicine, practicing medicine and building relationships. And then we think we're going to step away from that and do something else just seems like there is no choice and there is, there's always choice. And that's one of the highlight, one of the um, things we want to highlight within this podcast is that we've all had to make that, that crossroad decision, like you had mentioned. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it's a stripping of an identity, right? And so I'm curious to hear a little bit about what that identity death of that identity was like for you that would be great thanks and, and can i ask you just to clarify you mean the death of my identity as a physician yes thank okay. you <laughs> <laughs> like, okay what? death of what identity okay wow that's a big question the death of my identity as a physician that was really in many ways it was painful, right? I had really identified as a physician. It was a big part of my identity, huge, huge. And it took a while. Uh, I think that I had to do a lot of healing work to get to that place of like, I know my identity is so much more than what I do, right? And to shift to identifying much more around my values, like what I care about. Right? So not what I do, but I can still bring compassion into the world. I can still be a kind person. I can still um, exhibit love for others. Those things have never been taken away from me, right? So as I saw that, as I came to see that it was not about being a doctor in and of itself, it was about what I did as a physician that was important. And so that that would that I could bring to anything, I can bring that to an interaction with my mailman, right? I can bring that to an interaction with my dog, I can bring that to an interaction with anybody is to be kind and compassionate and caring. So when I saw that, then it really shifted everything for me. And it felt so much it just felt so much more, um, I felt more ease and I felt more peace when I saw that. So I don't know, is that the answer to your question? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, that is beautiful. And I love, and I think this is, um, this is a great um, takeaway for the people who are listening is really discovering the being part of you, like who do you want to be the big, you know, big B, big E in this world and not what you want to be. And we can start being that now. And, um, and that's values. Like you mentioned, maybe that's a, you know, a value, a strong high value that you have. Um, yeah, I love it. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. When you, in the later towards your the end of your medical license um were there any opportunities to address burnout or mental health issues with physicians do you mean or healthcare professionals 
with your with the system that you worked in or the office that you worked in for did they offer us any opportunities mm -hmm. there was never really any discussion about burnout or any kind of no nothing mm -hmm. they never no that, that was never addressed like physician wellness physician well-being none of that was addressed at all and, and I do think there's been a shift in that, right? Like from what I've seen with my husband and with practices, I think there's definitely a shift towards focusing on physician well-being. And yet it's just funny to me because there is that, like even in my husband's practice, there's that shift to being focusing on physician well-being. And then at the same time, there are questions and not demands, but I'll say requests in the form of sort of like a request, but almost a demand of like, can you can you do your scopes on Saturdays, you know, and can you do so the one time there's the there's the focus on well being and then there's these requests to do more. So it's a little, I don't know. Yeah. Still yeah. a business. Yeah. Still a business. Very right. much. Right. The healthcare system is a business. The yeah. healing arts is. Yeah, for sure. This is where he says, Well, in my coaching, I've learned boundaries, and that's a boundary of mine where I say no. <laughs> And that's exactly what he did. Yes. No Saturdays. Sorry. <laughs> Not coming in to do that. So can we get into what we don't want to figure out what the future of medicine looks like, but we'd like to imagine and envision what the future of medicine looks like. Do you have any ideas or any <laughs> We like to ask this question as like the big, the the, the small, medium, and big visions that we have of health, wellness of the future. You know, for our, our grandchildren or oh wow, and, okay. And we don't have to know how it will actually work because okay. then we get into the weeds, right? Okay. Um, and so we can kind of baby step into it to where we're like, oh, what, what can we maybe bring from the, um, you know, medicine of the past when you first started, we can start there. And then we'll, uh, towards the end, we throw away the box altogether and then maybe come ah, up with this. What a wonderful idea. I love that. <laughs> let's vision, let's envision this incredible healthcare system. Okay. Um, Hmm, let me think. So what about, I would think, I would love to see um, mental and emotional health care being just as important as, and probably more important than physical health care. I would like to see a much more a focus on individualized, holistic health care, right? So less on, less focus on the numbers and the metrics and more on the whole human being, right? So we're focusing on the full spectrum of your health at an individual level. So we're focusing on mental health, emotional health, on physical health, on social health, and spiritual health. And it's multidisciplinary so that when you come in, you're not just seeing your physician, but you're also seeing maybe there's a coach there or there's a therapist, um, there's a nutritionist, there is maybe some kind of, this is just a total dream. Like you get to see everything. You get to do maybe movement. There's like an exercise person who helps you figure out what you can do there. So it's a completely multidisciplinary approach. Maybe there's yoga. I don't know. There's like some kind of movement. 
There's more time spent on prevention, right, of disease than on the disease itself. And there's a move away from medicalizing every complaint and just giving people medication after medication after medication, right? But rather trying to get to the root cause of the problem. And I really believe that, like, I would love to see the coaching, the mental health as being part of the practice of medicine as well. So that's a huge answer. And there's a million things in there. And I don't know if any of them will be able to get done, but okay. <laughs> yeah, we, our minds immediately go there where we start to say, how would we make money at this, right? But this is the Healthcare from the Soul podcast. So we want it to just bubble up from that place because what we can imagine will come to fruition if we hold space for it, right? Um, What's possible, anything's possible. Truly believe that anything is possible. I do think, you know, there are, there is a movement of physicians that are doing like they're going back to doing, practicing by themselves, going into homes and doing old fashioned medicine like that, going to home, make, doing home visits and going back to that state of medicine, which was the way I grew up with. Like, you know, I had my physician used to come to my house and do house calls. It's completely different than it is now. And that's, I love that there are physicians who are doing that now. Camille's father was also a physician, just like yours. And he used to do house calls right? and home visits yeah. all the time, which I thought was so cool. <laughs> I have no idea what that's like. Right. But I do see that possibility. I mean, my dream of the future of healthcare is that there's a healer on every block. And the people just come to this house or we go to their house and maybe there's an occupational therapist down the block and there's a art therapist down the other side and everybody just communes. And when they need support, they know where to go. Wouldn't that be lovely? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. Vanessa, what does it look like to work with you now as a client? So I have a practice where I do individual coaching and I meet with healthcare professionals, but also with other individuals. I do coaching through that program Veritas, but also my own private clients. So I really meet my clients where they're at. And I I mostly am working with people who are ready to let go of self-sabotaging habits, whether they are perfection, the habit of perfectionism or anxiety or overdrinking or overeating. And I really try to help my clients live according to their values, right? And, And to get really clear on what their values are. And then focus on living those values. I do a lot of work. A lot of my work is a mindfulness based and really tell my clients like it's not about white knuckling it through getting rid of habits. It's a non-forceful kind of choice that unfolds when you really get clear on what's important to you and you practice these mindfulness practices. I also have trained in in positive psychology. So I bring a lot of positive psychology practices into my coaching. So looking at our strengths, focusing on our strengths, harnessing our strengths to move ourselves forward, 
challenging and looking at our beliefs and reframing our belief, reframing our thoughts, things like that. I 100% know that you bring compassion and love and kindness and all that you do. Um, even through this computer screen, I feel it. And um, Vanessa and I've had a couple of other opportunities to meet and you always present yourself the same. So appreciate you for coming on to this podcast and sharing your journey with us, your healer's journey. Well, it's been a pleasure. I think this podcast is so important and your message is so needs to reach a lot of people. Thank you, Vanessa. Do you have any parting guidance for somebody who is on the verge of burnout or knows that they need to take space, but they're just scared or frightened to do so? Yeah, I think really it's okay to acknowledge that you have a problem and then to seek help and that really your health is the most important thing and really you are worth it you need to you are worth that effort that it takes to just get out there seek help and take care of yourself thank you you're welcome thank, thank you, you so much. thank you for your presence thank you for your energy for your guidance and for your story and for being you <laughs> and you can find how to reach vanessa in the show notes see you soon Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so happy you're here. We look forward to bringing you more stories from the healer's journey on healthcare from the soul. If you've loved this podcast, please let us know by dropping a review on Apple Podcasts to support us getting the word out. As our gift to you, we'll send you a meditation. Just screenshot your review and email us at healthcarefromthesoul at gmail.com. Thank you. And until next time, we're sending all our love.